Next, this month's special series focus on disaster medicine and preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react? Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine. I am your host, Dr. John Armstrong, and our guest is Dr. Ralph Sheely, Medical Director of South Carolina's Charleston County EMS and Rescue Squad and Co-Director of the Disaster Preparedness and Response Training Network for the South Carolina Area Health Education Consortium. Dr. Sheely is an emergency physician and internationally recognized voice in disaster medicine. Welcome, Dr. Sheely. Hi, it's good to be with you. Well, Dr. Sheely, many of our listeners are wondering just what is disaster medicine? You know, I've come to disaster medicine from a perspective of emergency medicine. You know, that's a good starting place. In emergency medicine, we tend to work with the EMS and pre-hospital care systems and agencies that also take care of a community when something really bad happens. I use a shorthand of speech. I call it the bad day. The day when something really bad happens that totally overwhelms a community's ability to manage using its normal resources, its normal methods and systems, and forces the community to shift over into an extraordinary mode of action in order to attempt to meet the needs of the community. So emergency medicine has traditionally been focused on pre-hospital care, and that leads to being involved in disaster planning and so on. But I think that as our view of the exposure of our communities to disasters has changed, as we're looking at larger and larger types of events that we've been spared for the most part in this country, we really haven't had events that have created huge numbers of casualties or huge numbers of sick people that far exceeded the ability of our systems to manage. We've been lucky. But as we begin to look and prepare for those kind of events, and as we realize that increasingly these events are truly inevitable, our notion of disaster medicine has had to expand outside of the realm of emergency medicine and into the mainstream of how physicians understand their duties to a community and how they understand their obligations to support the community when such a bad day comes. No longer are we able to think of disaster medicine as being the focus or responsibility of a small group of people who are employed for that service. We know that if we're going to deal with something like pandemic influenza or some event that creates large-scale casualties, that we're going to have to look to physicians who are involved in other kinds of practices to support first-line acute care resources. So it sounds like, then, that every physician has a second specialty, which one could say is disaster medicine. I think every physician has a responsibility. I won't say a second specialty, but I would say a responsibility that hovers in the background as they go about their daily activities. And that responsibility is to come to the aid of the community as a whole, medical delivery systems fail. And we suddenly need additional resources. The demand, the casualties are too many. The casualties are coming too fast. There's still processes in place that can create more casualties. The cause, the precipitating event has not been contained. The numbers of folks needing care is increasing and it far outstrips the ability of existing emergency services to manage 
and other physicians who are not providing frontline acute care need to be able to come forward and fill some of those gaps. And it brings forward a notion about scope of practice. We all have our comfort zone of our scope of practice, the things that we've trained for, the things we've specialized in, the things we do every day and are familiar and comfortable with, is where we like to be. But if we suddenly find ourselves with patients far in excess of the normal capability of response, then folks have to stretch outside of their normal scope of practice. You know, if we think back to our medical school and residency training, we learned a lot of stuff and amassed a huge armamentation, not only of information, but of skills. And, but as we've moved forward and sharpened some of those tools, we have let some of the tools lay aside and gather dust. And I think that if we are confronted in our country with an event where we have got to go back to work and provide primary services to a population of sufferers exceeding our normal capacity, then we've got to be able to reach back and dust off those tools and put them to use again. In many respects, it sounds like you're suggesting we need to get back to basics, that just because a disaster has affected our community and we can't do what we normally do doesn't mean that we can't do something. Well, that's exactly the point. I had the privilege of serving after Hurricane Katrina on the coast of Mississippi. You know, something happened there that was truly remarkable. I mean, most of us never consider the fact that our hospital could be destroyed, that it could go out of service. But that's what happened in this community. It was a modern two-story steel and masonry building. And when I arrived there as part of a federal DMAT team, the hospital was not operational. There was water standing in the first floor. There were water moccasins swimming through radiology. That hospital was just gone. And so if we were to provide medicine in that environment, we no longer could rely on imaging. We couldn't rely on laboratory. We couldn't rely on consultations. We couldn't really rely on referring people to referral hospitals. All those things were going away. And if care was to be provided at any level for a population under those circumstances, fundamentally you have to go back to taking a history, doing a physical examination, and then doing a process of deductive reasoning on limited data and making management decisions that were perhaps not perfect, not certain, but the best that could be done under those circumstances. Well, it sounds like you're describing good old-fashioned doctoring. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. John Armstrong, and our guest is Dr. Ralph Sheely, Medical Director of South Carolina's Charleston County EMS and Rescue Squad and Co-Director of the Disaster Preparedness and Response Training Network for the South Carolina Area Health Education Consortium. We are discussing the physician's role in providing care in a disaster. Dr. Sheely, you've talked about getting back to basics. What about the standard of care? Well, usually when I talk with physicians about this issue, the first thing that comes out of somebody's mouth is, well, I can't expose myself to the liabilities associated with providing care for people that is substandard. The issue of legal liability and and standard of care immediately leap into consciousness, and I think everybody worries about this. 
But, you know, when you think about the burden of proof of malpractice, that uh, there was a duty, that there was a failure of the duty, that there was a damage that occurred and that the breach was the cause of the damage, and apply standard of care principles to that scenario and a disaster, you know, fundamentally we're judged the standard of care is what another physician like me, similarly trained and equipped, under a same similar environment, would do under that circumstance on behalf of a patient. And we know what the standard of care is today. I mean, that's what we go down to the office of the hospital and do every day, and we're very comfortable with it. But the fact of the matter, in an environment in which there's a major disruption of infrastructure, there's a major disruption in availability of resources, the way we normally practice medicine may not work. And in a true disaster, it absolutely will not work because those things are not available to us. So then we are forced, in essence, to think in terms of a new standard of care of what a physician like me, same and similar training, would do under these conditions, under these circumstances. An important point is that the standard of care has a context that's attached to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the problem, I think, is that as we go about doing medicine, you know, we've all been taught how to take a history, how to do a physical, how to write orders, and we've got a little template for that that's engraved on the inside of our skull. And if the truth be told, I think every time we write orders for a hospitalized patient, you go down that template and fill in the blanks. And all of a sudden, none of that works. You know, you're in an environment where you can't get the consultation, you can't order the therapy or the study. You know, now you're involved in a new standard of care of what does work in that context when a physician is applying the art and science of medicine to provide the best outcome possible for a patient under these circumstances. And more importantly, providing care which stretches those resources across a whole population of people in need and not just in terms of a single individual. Well, understanding then that there's a change in the scope of practice and that it's, if anything, simpler and that there's a standard of care which also is different because of the disaster. You can only do so much with what you have. How is it that you can navigate a large population of casualties to some good? How can you manage that large population? It comes down to the principle of triage. You know, triage, as everybody knows, is a term that means sorting. And fundamentally, what it boils down to is with a population of patients, you try to identify first all those people for whom you can make a difference in outcome, and then you assign priority of care in terms of who requires an intervention with the greatest urgency to achieve that outcome. I'm involved in the EMS world, and we do a great deal of training for our medics and firefighters and others in how to sort people in the field, on the ground, going back to the model of an airplane crash or some large event in a space where you can walk out in the field literally and sort those people in according to priorities of care. In our thinking about doing that, we have to do a shift, a shift away from thinking that we will do everything we can for a given patient to improve their outcome to a consideration of how do we do the most good for the most people 
utilize care in terms of therapeutic efficiency of how can we use what I have in this toolbox to the greatest and most efficient effect to make the most difference in outcome for our people. And that's really the process. Well, we tend to use triage every day in the sense that if somebody is, say, injured in a motor vehicle crash, then we try to triage the patient to a trauma center or to another facility based upon those needs. What I'm hearing you say is that mass casualty triage is a complete shift in thinking where we move to the greatest good for the greatest number. Casualties we might be able to save on our best day in the name of greatest good for the greatest number, we might not be able to save. That's what it boils down to. I think if you consider that you have a mass of casualties, that some require little intervention to save life, and others require a great deal of intervention and resources to save life, you spend your resources to optimize the number of people standing at the end of the day. And fundamentally, the notion is is that resources cannot be wasted in futility. This is a hard, hard concept. It's said that physicians and nurses and health professionals make bad triageurs because they are moved to stop and take care of every patient as they encounter them, and they are moved to do everything they can for that patient, and that it would be better if somebody else did the triage process and so that the doctors and nurses could be presented with a group of the worst of the worst that would benefit from care to assign the energies to those folks and be brought people in in the order and priority of urgency. The concept of not being able to do everything you want to do for anybody in a mass casualty situation is probably the most difficult emotional aspect of disaster medicine. Well, we have been talking about physician preparedness for providing care in a disaster. It calls to mind Louis Pasteur's observation that chance favors the prepared mind. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Ralph Sheely, for helping our minds get ready for the inevitable disaster. I'm Dr. John Armstrong, and you have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.